99 Problems goes so much harder when you are in New York City hosting Canty and Carlin at the Seaport. Courtney Cronin and Amber Wilson in the cut. First time ever we have done a show together. And we're doing it right here at the Seaport ESPN Studios down on South Street. ESPN Radio brought to you by present presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us at Courtney R. Cronin at Amber W. Sports. You can also hit us up on the phones, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. So we've reached dog days of summer status. Training camps are in full session, entering preseason games this week, preseason week one. But of course, there's some NBA news to get to, sort of a bombshell report coming out of The Athletic. Kevin Durant has met with Nets front, the Nets front office, including Brooklyn Nets owner Joe Tsai over the weekend, and he reiterated his trade request that he made on the eve of free agency and informed Joe Tsai reportedly that it's either me staying here in Brooklyn or you getting rid and or me leaving somehow, but you ha- in order for me to do that, you're getting rid of general manager Sean Marks and head coach Steve Nash. That is the revelation that we have found out from the Athletic currently reporting that. What do you make of Kevin Durant's sizable request? Did you see this one coming? I did not see this coming, but I never really knew why he wanted out of Brooklyn to begin with. This gives us some clarity in that department. Now, I guess this is a bombshell report because it's August, right? And it's been so quiet on the NBA front. Right now in the NBA, everybody's on their my, uh, their mega yachts in the med. They're sipping their Mai Tais. Nobody's picking up the phone or doing much in the NBA right now. So it's been really quiet in terms of a potential Kevin Durant trade. I think it's also been quiet because the market has been more quiet for Kevin and Durant than one would have expected and probably because of where the price tag of that market is and realistically there aren't many teams or probably no teams it appears in the NBA that could possibly meet that price tag and then also remain a contender which would be attractive to Kevin Durant so he's in a difficult situation but he decided to meet with his owner in Joe side this week we knew that that meeting was coming A bombshell report to me would have been if he's actually getting traded somewhere, but it doesn't seem like that's happening. So what we get is clarity on what apparently Kevin Durant is disgruntled with in Brooklyn. It's not what you would expect. It's not Kyrie, apparently. It's not James Harden. It's not Ben Simmons. We don't know if he can play basketball. It's not any of these other stories that have been floating around the nets for the last year. Instead, it is apparently him wanting a departure from the direction of the Nets. He told Josiah he doesn't believe in the direction of the Nets. That's a report out of The Athletic. And so he wants an axe on Steve Nash and on Sean Marks. And I think the Sean Marks component of that story, Courtney, is the more surprising one. Because a lot of us question Steve Nash. I mean, I don't sure. know if he can be a, a good head coach. I have no idea. We haven't seen much from him at all. It's been a mess since he's been there. But Sean Marks, you could argue has been a good GM. Now, it hasn't resulted in what we thought it would result in, but we are talking about a general manager who took over like a 21-win organization when he walked into that job and, by the way, brought in Kevin Durant, got him to come to that team, along with Kyrie Irving, along with James Harden at one point. Now he's got Ben Simmons on a former number one overall pick on that roster as well. So you could argue on paper this has been a good job from Sean Marks. He's a very respected GM across the NBA. Kevin Durant flexing his muscle for that. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to flex your muscle for Steve Nash, who's a first-time head coach. It's a whole nother thing to ask Josai to can uh, Sean Marks as well. Yeah, so Durant's going into his 16th season 
as things currently stand in Brooklyn, he doesn't think he can win there for a multitude of reasons, some of which we can point to, some that might not be so obvious. Certainly the Brooklyn Nets probably have a better idea of what it's going to take for this team to be successful. But I can't fault Sean Marks in the, in the moves that he's made this offseason to try to improve the roster. Remember, they traded for Royce O'Neal. That was, you know, Wendy and the consider this and the, mm-hmm. the meme that went uh, viral from, <laughs> from first take because that was, the, that was the, one of the precursor trades to the Rudy Gobert thing happening. But the Nets traded for Royce O'Neal. They signed TJ Warren. They brought back Nick Claxton, Patty Mills, and what we believe will be a fully healthy Ben Simmons by the time the 2022-23 season rolls around, and Joe Harris. Like, he's back too. So all of these moves that were made are apparently not good enough for Kevin Durant. He doesn't like the direction. He doesn't like the direction that they're going in. I had the thought, though, that is he upset that Sean Marks is the one getting in the way of him being traded somewhere else? Because the asking price that Sean Marks, as the general manager, is clearly setting is very, very high. Well, I don't that know if it, is, is it Sean Marks setting that asking price? I mean, he's or a general it, manager. Or is it Rudy Gobert? Is it the market setting that asking price? It's I mean, both. If Rudy Gobert it's gets both. five picks, what the heck is Sean Marks supposed to do? Of and we're course. talking about arguably the second best player in the league, right? You know, a, a generational talent, particularly in terms of offensive players. I mean, it, it's remarkable. Kevin Durant with four years left on his deal. Four years would be available on any trade market. And then he's available on a trade market that, again, we saw five picks in return for Rudy Gobert. Donovan Mitchell hasn't been moved either because the market's so out of control. How can you move Donovan Mitchell? Kevin Durant's better than Donovan Mitchell. It's just at some point, there's only so much any of these teams can trade away. And you certainly can't trade it all away and then still be a contender. And that's the problem that the Nets are running into because Katie wants to go to a contender. There was only two teams on that list and they were both a one seed from Mm -hmm. this past season, right? Like that man wants to go to a contender and he wants them to still be a contender when he gets there. Kevin Durant seems to kind of want everything here, Courtney, where he wants, like, take the Miami Heat, for example, because they were on his list. Remember, he wants, okay, I want to go to the Heat. But by the way, I still want Bam to be there. I still want Kyle Lowry to be there. I still want Jimmy Butler to be there. I basically want everybody to be there. But then somehow I want the Heat to be able to acquire me. It's like, huh? This isn't how this works. So what do you actually want? It just feels like maybe Kevin Durant doesn't know what he wants. Well, and it feels like it's teetering towards him being back in Brooklyn this next year because they haven't been able to find a trade partner. Remember, a couple weeks ago, there was the idea that Boston wanted to get – I mean, they got their name in the mix. They dropped that report, and Woj put it out there that Boston has entered the chat effectively. Mm-hmm. They wanted to be in the Kevin Durant sweepstakes, and apparently that was going to be for Jalen Brown and a host of draft picks. Now, you have to argue whether that would have been a fair trade. I don't think that would have been. I think you would have had to throw more into the mix, and Boston, given what they did in free agency, doesn't want to break up the core that they have. It's the reason they got Malcolm Brogdon and were so thrilled they didn't have to give up Marcus Smart and any of these other players in that in that deal. But I just I don't know what Kevin Durant thinks is a realistic expectation. Maybe you think I am so good that everybody should be moving mountains for me and just make it happen because I'm worth it. And you just deal with the consequences and the fallout after the fact. 
That's not how it works in the business world. It's not how it works in the sports world. There have been incredible trades or ideas that have never gone, come to fruition. Those who have, that have gotten either like rejected by, we remember the NBA did that like not that long ago with David Stern as the commissioner, or ones that just fell through completely. Because when you have a player of this magnitude, it's not so simple as just finding one other team to be your trade partner. We've talked about these scenarios ad nauseum. This summer, that this is something you'd have to orchestrate with another team and then another team. So it'd be a three-team trade. And I guess Kevin Durant's, maybe he's just tired of remaining in this waiting game, staying complacent, thinking that the Brooklyn Nets have his best interest in mind and trying to trade him where he wants to go. Maybe this is him lighting a fire of, like, trade me now, because I asked on June 30th and it's August 8th. Trade me or I'm coming for your job. Yeah, because this, this conversation apparently happened over the weekend. So is he putting them on notice? My thing, though, with the leverage play, like if if they can't get anything done, if Nash doesn't get fired, which I mean, and I don't like calling for people's jobs, but if there's one thing within this, like go ahead and and get an actual coach in there who can do the things that Steve Nash could not being a player's coach. But those guys have to. They're somewhere else, though, right now. Like those guys are on vacation on their yachts in the Met. Or, by the way, already with teams and already have jobs. Or, but by the way, also like these guys have to be willing to listen to whoever that guy is. Like that vet coach you bring in to actually coach now Mm -hmm. after Kyrie said, we don't need a coach, me and KD, because we're that good. All of a sudden, you'd have to be willing to listen to that guy. Why would the vet coach with all the experience sign up for this situation? It ain't a good situation no. in Brooklyn. And everybody knows that. Kevin Durant knows that. So now how they handle this going forward, they've got a couple months until preseason starts and, and training camp and all of that. I just I can't see Kevin at this point, unless there is something that comes out of nowhere, unless somehow the heat gets turned up on the stove coming closer to September, I think he's back with Brooklyn this year. It's just a matter of, is, how much is, is Josai willing to bend to the will of Kevin Durant? Does it start with the head coach? Does it stop with the head coach? Because asking for the general manager's job, too, does Kevin Durant have a GM in mind that he wants there? Like, does he want to do it himself? Would Did you he not trust just like, him to choose No, a absolutely GM? not. We saw it never fail with LeBron. I would, never, I would never trust a player with that right. because they're too close to the game. I mean, it's just... You can't do everything well. Players who represent themselves, I find that like to be such a – it's so few and far between because it's so difficult to do that. Try representing and managing an entire team on top of that. It's, it's nonsensical. It ain't easy. It's nonsensical, but this meeting did happen. Uh, we will certainly keep an eye on it, any of the developments that come from Kevin Durant's sit-down, casual sit-down with the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, Joe Sy. Coming up next, we stay in New York. Both Major League Baseball teams are hoping to be around in late October. But which team will have the edge? That's next. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, and the ESPN app. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Jake taking a little extra time. Now the 2-2 pitch. Swung on and missed strike three. Climb the ladder at 100 miles an hour for his 12th strikeout. My goodness, uh, both New York teams that play baseball have the same record, but one team in particular has had a very, 
very rough last month of the season. Uh, still 70-39 for the New York Yankees, 70-39 for the New York Mets, but two very different stories uh, for two teams that we were talking about here on Canyon Carlin, ESPN Radio, and the ESPN app, Courtney Cronin, Amber Wilson. Um, Yankees are 9-16 and over the past month. They were swept in a three-game series by the Cardinals, which then pushed their losing streak to five in a row. They lead the American League East. Their lead is now down to nine and a half games, which is the first time since July, June 16th that it hasn't been double digits. I know, freak out all you will. The Yankees certainly still feel like they're in prime position to, to make this run towards the World Series. Aaron Judge is still hitting the baseball very well, going for the home run record this year. They can break this streak by traveling to one of the hottest teams in baseball, in the Seattle Mariners, a team that started the Yankees' losing streak last week. Um, we'll see what happens tonight when they try to snap that losing streak in a couple of, in a, uh, you know, coming up here shortly. But what is going on with the New York Yankees? What are the struggles? What is behind the struggles? Let's hear from DJ LeMayhew, Yankees infielder, asked how and why. I mean, we're definitely going through it right now. You know, frustrated with how we've played, but you know, I still feel really good about our team and how we've done this year as a whole. What do you feel like needs to turn around specifically, or is it a number of things? I wouldn't say anything in particular, you know. Just, just like when we get a good pitching game, we don't hit, and vice versa, and we're just kind of one of those uh, this last five games we've been, you know, kind of grinding like that. Okay, so they were never going to continue. They were like starting out at a historic pace. They were never going to continue that pace that they were on the first few months of the season. You can look back, though, to moments in July and be like, what in the world happened? They they got absolutely owned by the Houston Astros. They got beat by one of the worst teams in baseball in the Cincinnati Reds. I went to a game that they won against the Reds, um, but that week, middle of July, week like July 13th, they looked bad. And, and you've got to wonder, too, this is a team that went, you know, not all in at the trade deadline. They think we'll get Juan Soto. But they did make some moves at the trade deadline. They are a team that believes they can go win a World Series because of their payroll and everything that they have right now surrounding Aaron Judge as the best player in baseball. Yet here we are, August 8th, freaking out because the Yankees only have a nine and a half lead in the AL right now. What do you make of this? One month ago, they were 61 and 23, right? On July 8th, after a win on July 8th. And now you mentioned the 9 and 16 over the past month. So the wheels have fallen off and namely the production's down. They've been too reliant on home runs. Garrett Cole has taken a step back. So has the rest of that rotation. So I think what is happening here, though, Courtney, is a bit of optics, right? Where you're talking, if we're talking about the two teams in New York, one's trending the right direction, one's trending the wrong direction over the last month. But I also think that we're going to freak out too much and overreact too much when it comes to the Yankees. We're still talking about a team. You said down to nine and a half game lead in the AL East. We're still talking about almost a 10 digit or a two double digit lead in the in the division. Right. I mean, we're not talking about a Yankees team that has fallen so far behind that this is some insurmountable way back that they have to now trek. The Yankees are still a very good team. Yes, it has looked ugly, but it was always impossible to keep up that pace 
in the beginning of the season. There's no chance. I mean, it was totally unsustainable. 61 and 23, that's not sustainable for anybody. So I think their victim here, the Yankees, are to almost setting the bar too high, where we saw them be too good, and now everyone's going to freak out here because there are ebbs and flows with teams, particularly a team that's maybe a little bit too reliant on mm-hmm. chasing home runs. This is one of those ebbs and flow. Are we in an ebb? Are we in a flow? I never understand that statement. Either way, this is the down if we're talking yes. ups and downs. Yeah. Candy and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN Plus. Um, they have Seattle tonight. They're on the road. Uh, By the way, still a favorite series. in yeah, that series absolutely. opener against the Mariners. And the Mariners are, yes, they're the team that started this losing streak. Yankees trying to, to stop that one quickly. Um, another team, though, across the way is, since, is, the, is the New York Mets, a team that last night in his return – in a win at City Field, uh, Jacob DeGrom struck out 12. He had a perfect game going into the sixth inning, which was his second start all season. Remember, he's oft injured, as the Mets know. But this is a team in beating the Atlanta Braves 5-2 on Sunday, now have 12 wins in the last 14 games. They're a team that also likes to spend big time, and it seems to be working out for them. They've got a lot of power in their lineup. Pete Alonso driving in two runs. Uh, last night, they finished with 19 strikeouts, including three in a row from Edwin Diaz to end the game. So I guess, I mean, like, I don't like to pit New York teams against each other. That wouldn't be a fair thing to do. But when we talk about World Series contenders, if we're if we're projecting this out now, we're in New York, it makes sense. We might as well, like, act as the locals do and talk about these two teams and their baseball superiority. superiority. Do you have the Yankees or do you have the Mets? In the World Series this year, I'm not going to discount. Technically, you can choose both if you wanted to, but I'm not going to make you do that. <laughs> that would be that would uh, that would let's get a Subway Series in the World Series. That would be a lot of fun. I, I'm not going to move away from the Yankees in this discussion because, again, although I realize what has happened here over the last month. I do think that we're overreacting to what I do think is just a temporary lull here. I think that rotation gets back to it. I think that they figure things out in terms of chasing these home runs. They still have Aaron Judge. He's earning himself something like a half a billion dollars with the way that he's playing this season. He's going to be the MVP. I'm not going to move my money right now off of the Yankees, even though... The Mets are certainly the hotter team right now, and it is going to largely come down to whether DeGrom can keep this up or not. All right. For the sake of this argument, I will go ahead and pick the Mets. But that is if Jacob DeGrom can stay healthy, because we know that that has been an issue for the Mets uh, for quite some time. But, man, he's looked incredible. Second start of the year, got the win uh, and some in the 5-2 victory over the Atlanta Braves on Sunday. Coming up next, we'll go inside the mind of a man who some people believe is the greatest coach in college football history. We talk with the author of The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban. Coming up next here on Candy and Carlin, ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Plus. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage to the First Real Life Store stage, all the way to the Did We Just Hit a Million Orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network.
Kickoff of the college football season just under 25 days away. What better way to get ready for the football season than by reading a new book out there on the leadership secrets of Nick Saban. That is the title of John Talty's first book. And he joins Courtney Cronin and Amber Wilson here on Canty and Carlin ESPN Radio in the ESPN app. This book drops on August 9th. Get it wherever you get books. You can buy it on Amazon. Go to my Twitter at Courtney R. Cronin. I have tweeted the link to finding the book. John, I just finished it up this weekend. I know you're proud of me uh, for fitting the time in between training camp to to go through this entire thing. So I'll go ahead and pat myself on the back proverbially for you. But um, one of the revelations in this book, and I know people have written about this, but it's so interesting because it's a story that we've never heard before about Nick Saban. And it came after the kick six where Alabama lost to Auburn during the Iron Bowl in 2013. That following year, Nick Saban actually considered leaving Alabama for a job at ESPN and media. Tell us about the significance of that story. I think it's interesting because it represents this great kind of what if butterfly effect type moment in college football. Because as you remember, it's that, that same time where all the Texas rumors were happening and, and Texas's reported interest in Nick Saban. And we, you know, we've known about that. We've talked about that for years. You know, before this book, nobody had ever talked about or written about Saban's interest in ESPN. And so when I talked to one of the people who was in that, there was you know, multiple meetings about it, but one of the people who I talked to who was in the meeting out in California, basically the way he described it to me was that it felt like Nick Saban was asking himself, if not Alabama, where do I want to be? And it felt like door one was Texas, door two was ESPN, and door three was, of course, returning to Alabama, which he does. He ends up winning more national championships, establishes himself as the greatest college football coach of all time. But there was a real moment there where he was thinking about, you know, looking at something other than just being a college football coach. And I think it's really interesting that he was in particular – interested in a potential college game day role. He seemed to recognize that doesn't get any bigger than ESPN's college game day when it comes to college football coverage. And he liked the idea of being involved with that program, but ultimately just wasn't ready in that stage of his life to walk away from being a, a football coach. I'm sure a network would have liked to have him, John, but that whole returning to Alabama thing worked out pretty well for him. And in part, because he's such a good recruiter. But it feels like, to me, at this point, Alabama should just recruit itself. Why is he still so adamant about going on the road and signing off on every player himself? Because I think he realizes that it is the most critical portion of the operation. You know, if he does not have the right players, then it can all fall apart. And so I think he re- he you know wants to put in the work to do what is necessary to be successful. And that means making sure that he has the right people coming into his organization. And it, it extends to assistant coaches and GAs and things like that. I mean, he is, he's heavily involved in all of those different things. And I think what was interesting, you know, one of the people who I talked to for the book said, you know, at a certain point at Alabama, it almost comes with the inverse of a typical recruiting pitch. You know, usually you're like, we want you to come to this school and we're going to, you know, you're going to be a star and, you know, we're going to make you into this and we're going to focus our offense around you, all these different things. Alabama, their pitch is essentially, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you know what you're signing up for? Because they know how difficult it is and they don't want to make promises to any of these kids. And what that does, it ends up kind of self-selecting 
these incredibly competitive kids who are almost excited by the idea of nothing being promised and everything having to be earned. And that's why you get just this incredibly competitive environment at Alabama with all of these four stars and five stars, you know, competing every single day for a starting role, knowing that nothing is going to be given to them. It's Candy and Carlin, Courtney Cronin, Amber Wilson talking with John Talty, SEC insider for AL.com and the author of The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban. And, and to your point, the stories of Saban taking over programs, going back to the Toledo days, to Michigan State, where he would come into a situation that obviously begged for a new head coach and had to change the culture, which a lot of that started with that off-season workout program where guys would quit the team because they just couldn't handle what was being asked of them to get ready for the season all the way back in the winter. And the premise of your book, The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban, is about Saban's unparalleled work ethic. And I know you talked to several experts, Major Jordan Terry and Dr. Catherine Bartle, about leadership principles. What did you learn just about what might be the why behind the way Saban leads, but also the way that he's able to execute that so seamlessly every place he's been? Yeah, I mean, I think he has a, a core strategy that he you know, is very dedicated dedicated to that he has enacted at all of these different steps. And we've seen him evolve as a leader and as a coach during that time frame. But you know, I think his most famous product is the process, which you know a decent amount of people know at this point. And that's you know focusing on the process, not just the results. But that entails all all these other different kind of components. And I think it's what's what's amazing is that you know one of the, I think his biggest strengths as a leader is that he's not walking into the office one day and saying, you know what, it's a, it's a random random day in April. We can chill out today. You know, he is treating every single day like it's important. Every single day is a challenge for him to try to be better in some way. I mean, his one of his catchphrases is, you're either getting better, you're getting worse every day. There's no status quo. And when you have the leader of your operation living his life that way, living his life so incredibly dedicated to what he is preaching, it makes other people want to follow him. And so he has very much a lead by example type strategy, but there's a lot of different components of what he does that I think is really fascinating. And I think it's why I think it lends itself to so many other areas outside of just sports. You know, there's plenty of hardworking guys in sports. I think in some ways there's a fed, you know, people, love to talk about how many hours they work and all these different things. But I think his strategy in itself does work outside of sports. And that's you know, the basis for a lot of this book. John Talty, the author of The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban, joining us here on Canty and Carlin. Uh, so, John, apparently even Nick Saban has pregame superstitions. In your book, you describe one that involves a horror movie. Can you tell us a little bit about that story as it regards Nick Saban? Yeah, I think it's one of my favorite stories in the book. It just cracks me up. Uh, so one of the things that they do, especially they've been doing it for years now, is you know before a big game, you know they'll have a team movie night, and typically Saban will do you know your classic motivational type movies, Miracle, Gladiator, you know Last Samurai stuff like that. But before you know when he was at LSU, before a game against Alabama, uh, they take the guys to a movie theater and they see the movie The Ring which, you know, people listening don't remember that movie. It's pretty scary. Uh, not, a, uh, not necessarily the most motivational movie to watch before a big game. And some of the players from that team told me that, like, it legitimately had an impact on them the next day. Like, multiple guys had nightmares that night. 
didn't sleep well. Everybody was kind of disturbed by the movie. And, you know, the next day they play Alabama uh, while he was at LSU, and they get absolutely crushed and lose the game. And so, you know, Saban has talked about that game because it came famously right after the Bluegrass Miracle game. But the ring part, to my knowledge, has never been written about before. And I just it's just hilarious to me imagining Nick Saban sitting through watching The Ring and then trying to use that movie in a motivational way during his pregame speech. I'm trying to draw all of the parallels of how that Samara, I believe her name was, the girl who steps out of the TV in The Ring, how that could possibly be used as a uh, motivational tactic. Maybe snatch their souls is what he was looking for. Certainly didn't get that there. Uh, I have something in common with college athletes. I, too, had nightmares after watching The Ring when I was younger. The book is called The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban. It comes out tomorrow, August 9th. Get it wherever you get your books. I have it linked on my Twitter account, the link on Amazon to get John Talty's debut book, the author of The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban, an SEC insider for AL.com. John, appreciate the time. Best of luck. Absolutely. Thanks so much. All right, coming up next, an interesting option at quarterback for the Browns, so says one former general manager. This is Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite sports podcasts? Good news! Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music, included with your Prime membership. Amazon Music offers the most ad-free top podcasts. Enjoy shows like First Take, Pardon the Interruption, and The Low Post, available ad-free and uninterrupted. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or go to Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods. That's Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Cronin, Amber Wilson, holding it down on Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN Plus. Braves right-hander Spencer Strider, a little salty grapes after Atlanta lost four of five games in the series that it just had against its division rival, the New York Mets. He said that there were, quote, a lot of weird hits. They seem to be having a lot of luck right now offensively. That's great. It's August. We'll see what things are like in October. Well, I have been informed that Spencer Strider and his mustache, have never actually played a game in October. Um, he surrendered four hit, four earned runs on six hits and just two and two-thirds innings in Sunday's loss, and he got pulled. So it sounds like somebody who's not happy with his own performance, and I believe in the therapy world we call that projecting. He got pulled after just 2.2 innings. Uh, but he's not wrong, Courtney. He's just the wrong messenger, right? Where I understand what he's doing. You and I just had a conversation about the Yankees and the Mets. And I think I said, I think we're overreacting on both sides. We're overreacting to the Yankee slump right now. We're overreacting to the Mets being on this hot streak right now. All that matters is what happens in October. We all understand that when we're watching baseball. So Strider's not wrong. It just can't come from the guy that just got worked by them. He can't call them lucky. It's not lucky. You needed to do better, boss. And so I think that I appreciate the confidence. I think that it's coming from the wrong messenger, though, this message, even if the sentiment is not completely inaccurate. Yeah, they've got him seven more times, too. So I believe I messed that up and called it salty grapes, sour grapes, salty grapes, new thing. Uh, I was wondering what salty grapes were. Okay, apparently I didn't realize I said that because both you and our producer, Cam Pratt, just alerted me to the fact that I made up a new thing. What I'm would go- salty, salty grapes salty? taste like? I feel like like sour grapes. They'd be disgusting. No, like, I feel like salt. If you dipped a grape into a little salt, I actually feel like that could be good. Like the sweet like a margarita and the salty. grape? Yeah. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. 
and boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Do you think Spencer Strider would want one of those? Well, apparently. Maybe that would get him over his he'd, loss? He'd want salty, maybe more than sour grapes. He Although sour grapes technically. August, maybe in October. Sour <laughs> grapes technically turn into wine, so I'm a big fan of sour grapes. Okay, so maybe that's what Spencer Strider needs to get out of his little funk that he had on Sunday. They play the Mets seven more times, all at Truist Park. So it's happening in Atlanta. They have them next week. It's a four-game series, and then I guess we'll see what happens after that. Atlanta fell six and a half games behind the New York Mets for the NL East division lead following that five-game series. The Braves are looking for their fifth straight division title, while the Mets have only won the division three times since 1988. They're 17-39 right now. Um, They're hot right now. 12 of the last 14, including the 5-2 win over the Atlanta Braves on Sunday. So was Strider until facing the Mets. He was hot as well. He was hot. Anymore. Now he's got now he's got salty grapes. Now he's got salty sour grapes. Delicious. <laughs> we all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. I'm Jimmy Garoppolo. I see this as an investment in my future as a free agent in 2023. The offense that the Cleveland Browns run, Kevin Stefanski is the head coach. He's the one calling plays. It's a scheme that he learned under Gary Kubiak. So that's what they run in San Francisco. Well, I like Brissett. They're literally one hit away from either Josh Rosen or Josh Dobbs playing on a team that has a chance to be really good. The NFL appealed the decision that came down from independent arbitrator Sue L. Robinson regarding Deshaun Watson and his six-game suspension. So now that that appeals process will take place, don't know when, it's going to be expedited though, we will soon find out if Deshaun Watson has to serve more than six games and just how desperate the Cleveland Browns will be in finding a replacement for him other than Jacoby Brissett. It's Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin and Amber Wilson presented to you, as always, by Progressive Insurance. We've talked a lot about Jimmy Garoppolo and his whereabouts and what's going to happen for him beyond the rest of training camp. The the arbitrary deadline is August 30th. The San Francisco 49ers have to find a trade partner before then to move Garoppolo, or they have to cut him because they're not keeping a $27 million backup on the roster. But everything with the Browns right now would suggest that they are still in play as they wait on what that suspension is going to look like. If it's just six games, doesn't feel like it's staying there because the NFL doesn't want it to stay there. If it's a whole season, do they roll with Jacoby Brissett or do they actually start going in the direction more seriously maybe than they have in the past of Jimmy Garoppolo? Everything about the Browns suggests that Garoppolo should be in play, but the Browns themselves are not suggesting that Garoppolo is in play, right? Like all the reports out of Cleveland are consistently 
we're not in on Jimmy Garoppolo, and yet all of us on the outside looking in are like, why aren't you in on Jimmy Garoppolo? It feels like a no-brainer. So it makes it impossible to believe anything that's coming out of Cleveland, frankly. It all comes down to how long Deshaun Watson suspended for, though, because with a six-game suspension, which right now, if you're the Browns, you have to operate as if right now he's only suspended for six games, although we all expect that's probably going to increase on Peter C. Harvey's rule. He's going to play in the preseason. Right. Well, he'll play in the preseason, and then we're... And then if you're the Browns, you're yes, you're operating. Okay, it's six games. So he's taking the majority of first team snaps as well with the Browns. You feel like he's only really going to be away from the team for a few weeks as it currently stands. That will change dramatically, most likely when Peter C. Harvey issues his ruling, which is the designee that Roger Goodell has assigned to hear the appeal. And then we'll see if the NFLPA and Deshaun Watson end up taking a trip to federal court in the future and what that means for a Deshaun Watson suspension ultimately. But if you're the Browns, I don't have any problem right now at this stage with them functioning as if he's only suspended six games. If he's only suspended six games, Courtney, then I understand not bothering with Jimmy Garoppolo. Both from a cap perspective, if you were to sign him outright, or certainly from a trade perspective, because why would you bother trading away assets if you feel like when you look at that Brown schedule that Jacoby Brissett can probably go three four and, and two three. or three yeah. and three? I mean, if you look at it, it's it's easy up front, their schedule, and Brissett should be able to keep you afloat for at least, I would say, three if not four of those games. And so then you assume Watson comes in and kind of saves the day on the back end of those remaining 11 games. If that's where it stands, I wouldn't bother with the Jimmy Garoppolo sweepstakes. I'm not getting involved with Jimmy Garoppolo if I'm the Browns, unless we're talking at least 10 plus games in terms of suspension. If he's out of season, this story changes dramatically and Garoppolo's Garoppolo's out there for the taking. This is a good Browns team. The problem might be who's under center. And so you do you want to waste an entire year of a good team? It's not like you're always just going to necessarily have a good team in place. You have a good team in place right now. Before Deshaun Watson's $230 million guaranteed kicks in and starts hamstringing you in the future with the salary cap, before those other contracts come into play, right now as it sits here today, you have a good team. Mm-hmm. You have moves that you could theoretically make to acquire Jimmy Garoppolo or you have a little bit money that you could spend if he is in fact cut by the San Francisco 40. Niners, and yet you wouldn't have to probably lose the season because we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo take good teams before you know he can get a good team yeah. to the Super Bowl. Well, they might not have enough money. Even though they have $48 million in cap right now, they're still paying for Baker Mayfield on the hook for $10.5 million of that contract, and that's the reason why Field Yates, ESPN NFL insider, thinks that the Jimmy G to Cleveland train might not be taken off. I'm not sure that it's a move that I would be making right now. Their bill, as we know, as it pertains to quarterbacks, is already significant. Deshaun Watson has just a $1.035 million base salary this year. But in terms of cash, the Browns did pay him a $45 million signing bonus. So if you're the Browns ownership group, you are taking on the possibility of potentially committing somewhere in the range of $80 million this year when you factor in Jimmy Garoppolo's salary plus the signing bonus paid to Deshaun Watson plus the money paid to Jacoby Brissett. By the way, you ate up some of the money from the Baker Mayfield contract as well. $80 million in cash, which you know on our end, it seems like a reasonable enough move to try to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, but you got to justify that to your ownership group. And I'm not so sure that that's one that I could be able to persuade them to make justifying it to an ownership group that just went all in 
on a quarterback, knowing that there would be the risk that he's not going to be able to play this season. What's another 24, 27 million? Right. right. Well, and I don't even think it has to go that high, right? What are we talking about? I mean, the 49ers have to cut him if they can't trade him. And, and so, so if he's in a point, cut situation, mm-hmm. I mean, you might be able to get Garoppolo for something like 10 million, right? Like, what, what are we talking about in terms of cash? And that signing bonus for Deshaun doesn't hit against the salary cap. So this comes down to whether the Browns ownership wants to do it. Yeah. And we still don't know where his health as health is at. He had off-season shoulder surgery. He's been throwing a little bit on the side at training camp. You know, it's coming off a 9 and 6 record, 20 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 3,810 yards uh, that he threw last season. He's a good quarterback. Is he worth the price? We'll find out if the Browns think that soon. Coming up next, the outlook for the Colts in 2022. We ask a Hall of Famer next, Canyon Carlin.